Thank you very much. What a busy and wonderful morning you already have had in your church today. And uh, after Andrew's little thing with the hats, I hardly need to preach. I just might close in prayer, but fantastic stuff. Actually, Andrew, I've got good news for you. As I've reflected on it, it was 1972 when we left the mission, so that would have put you in grade two at school. Great to hear Graham talk about the leprosy mission. It's still very, very dear to our hearts. And marvellous, Graham, that you mentioned that one of the highlights is to see uh, the advances in surgery and reconstructive surgery because when I joined the mission in 1962, um, it was all beginning. Uh, Dr. Paul Brand, a wonderful doctor working in India and and, uh, and great Australians like uh, Grace Warren and and uh, Bill, uh, Bill Ramsey and Ken Cleasy were involved in pioneering those types of surgery in many places in the world and it's fantastic to see that it's uh, continuing to improve and continuing to be accessible to so many people across the world. I want to continue this morning around this whole area of living as met as parts of the body of Christ and you'll, you'll remember that last week when I spoke on this I talked about the fact that when God called us to himself through Jesus he called us from sinful self-centred individualism into Christ-centred other-centred corporateness and, and we talked about how difficult it is to get our heads around that in a world where individualism and independence are right at the top of human virtues. We are encouraged to be as independent as possible. We are encouraged to live as individuals. We are encouraged to make sure we get our individual rights and, and it's all about that. But when we're called into the body of Christ, it's like there's a sense in which we are now individuals who live in community. Not as individuals, but as parts of the body of Christ. And we talked about what that meant. And, and I want to build on that and, and go a little bit further and ask the question, how then does the body function? How then do we function together as a body? And as we read Ephesians, we're reminded that there are some things that unite us. There's one God and Father. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We are united around uh, one basic reality, that there is one God, He is our Father, He is our Redeemer, He is our indweller in the person of the Holy Spirit, one God and Father of us all who is in all and through all. And we were reminded of that this morning in the reading. Now what does that mean? How do we function? Well Paul says that this Jesus who first descended and then ascended gave to the church gifts in theological terms we talk about them as the gifts of grace because we're told according to his grace he apportioned 
gifts to the church. And, and in Ephesians chapter 4, he mentions five basic apostolic grace gifts. And he said, To some he gave to be apostles, and some he gave to be prophets, and some he gave to be evangelists, and some he gave to be pastors, and some he gave to be teachers. And then very quickly he goes on and says that they have been given, those gifts have been given in order to equip the church for ministry, for service. So they're they're not gifts to be given in order to exalt people to, to particular positions. They're not gifts that represent roles. They are gifts that represent the whole body, that that mean the whole body is being equipped for service. I don't know whether you've ever heard of the National Church Survey, but there's a National Church Survey that's run every four or five years and churches of all denominations are invited to participate in it. Have you done it here? Have you done it here? And, And you answer questionnaires and the congregation answer questionnaires and the pastors answer questionnaires. Well, They've had one not long ago and the results of that have just recently been released. And one of the questions had to do with how satisfied congregations were with their pastors. And it's interesting that in all the questions related to preaching and communicating and pastoring and counselling, all those questions, uh, the average, the national average was somewhere between 75 and 78%. Which as a pastor, I think that's very good, you know, to get that many people thinking you're okay. But when there was a question, the question was, how well does your pastor equip people for ministry? The average, the national average, was 50%. So one out of every two people in churches across Australia believe that they are not being equipped for being the church in the world. And I I want to say to you, to me that's a very challenging thing. In the light of Ephesians chapter 4, that's a very challenging thing. Because Ephesians 4 is very clear, the gifts are given in order that the body be equipped. And the need for equipment is that we are all part of the church in the world. Monday to Saturday, we're out there in the world being the church. And because of that, we need to be equipped to be that. And it's the giving of the gifts to the church that equips us for service. Now, just a few things that are really important for me to say as we move through this morning and and we'll try to finish as close to time as we can. There are four commands in the early part of Ephesians 4. One is that we live a life worthy of our calling. The second is that we be completely humble and gentle. The third thing is that we be patient, bearing with one another in love. And the fourth is that we should make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. All those things have to do with how we live together. 
how we dwell together, how we re- relate to each other, how we react to, to the things that happen around us, how we respond to people who are different. Those four things have to do with that. And, and Paul says you've got to make an effort to do those things. Even though God has come to live in us, even though the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, to be committed to unity, to be committed to love, to be committed to living together as a body is a choice we make. We can make a choice to be contrary. We can make a choice to be argumentative. We can make a choice to be critical. We can make a choice to be judgmental. We have the power to make those choices even though we have been redeemed. And so we must make the choice to live in harmony with each other. We're in unity with each other. That's a choice. It's not always easy, is it? It's even harder, hard in a little family of four people or six people to live in unity. But when we grow it to a hundred people, 150 people, then it's even harder because we have different backgrounds and we have different personalities and uh, we have different levels of... Uh, of um, patience and it's sometimes difficult to make that choice under God to live in unity together but it is a choice we make because we have left behind we've been called to leave behind sinful self-centred individuality and a focus on Christ-centred other-centred corporateness now there are four reasons why obeying these commands, these four commands, are necessary. The first reason is there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One of the reasons why I need to to obey the command to live in unity is because there is one body. I want to tell you, you don't need me to tell you this but it needs to be said There is only one church in Montmorency. Now, if I believe my eyes this morning, there are more than one church in Montmorency. If you go by buildings and if you go by gatherings of Christians in different places, but the truth is, brothers and sisters, there is one church one church and there's one head of the church Jesus and Jesus is not a a governmental head of the church he is the nurturing provisional head of the church he provides everything the body needs in fact the church doesn't need governance the church lives on life and spirit Now I know that's hard for us to understand and and we have grown up thinking that we have to have elders and deacons to govern the church but I want to tell you in, in God's plan, in God's economy the church doesn't need governance, it needs connection. And when the body is connected to the head it's alive and it's alive in a spiritual sense. It identifies in a spiritual sense. We see through spiritual eyes as Tony reminded us this morning 
Do you understand that? And so, what deacons and elders and leaders who carry the gifts uh, as, as everybody in the church does, what they are called to do is to make sure the church is equipped. You know, if you, if you operate in, in uh, traditional denominations and you look at the history of traditional denominations, they have got a, a pastor and the pastor comes and he comes for five years or ten years and he, he does his thing and often when he goes, there is no more intentionally equipped leaders in that church than there was when he came because he thought his job was to pastor the church and to lead the church and to govern the church. But it's not his job. He is to use the gift that God has given to him to equip the church, to equip leaders in the church, to equip those who have particular gifts in the church. So one of the reasons we need to obey the commands to live in unity is there is one body. And the second reason is that there's one Lord and one faith and one baptism. That we stand on one process. The process of bringing, um, bringing men and women into fellowship with God is through one Lord, one faith, one baptism. No difference. Whatever denomination we might be, that's the one purpose. And then thirdly, there's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Good to be reminded of that. I mean, we all know that. But what difference does it make if we really believe that? I'm doing a series at another church um, in the afternoons and the, and the question that we're looking at is, we're taking all the old promises, all the old texts in the Bible and we're saying, what difference would it make to the way I live if I really believe this? And what difference would it make to us as a church, as an expression of the body of Christ, if we really believed there's one God, one Father? God isn't who we make him, God is who he is. And he's, he's ruling, reigning, loving, forgiving, redeeming all the time. And his body needs to reflect that. Our, our expressions of his body need to be a reflection of who he is. When people said to Jesus, why have you come? Over and over again he said, I've come to show you the Father. Can you think of any other reason why he would have left the church in charge? I love the story, the little, um, the little parable or myth, myth that's told about, you know, Jesus dies and rises again and ascends into heaven and when he gets there the angels say, well, what's your plan now? What's your plan for the earth now? And, and Jesus said, well... I've left Peter and John and James and Andrew and there was silence for a little while and the angel said, um, what's your other plan? <laughs> <laughs> well, his plan 
His only plan was that the church would be a reflection of who he was. They would show the world the Father. People would look at the church and say, ah, that's what God is like. A place of harmony, a place of peace, a place of love, a place of of humility, a place of graciousness, a place of mercy. That, 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 that's what God is like. That was his plan. Sometimes we have fallen across, across this land, we have fallen very short of that plan. And then the fourth reason why we should live in love and humility and so on is that to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. I love that. I love that. Now I'm tempted in my humanness to say that more grace has been given to some people than to others. <laughs> that's not what this means. The grace that's been given is the gift that God has given to you. He's given you a gift by his grace. And we are encouraged in other parts of the scripture to stir up that gift, to make sure we've recognised it and used it. Now I want to do a, just a little fun thing with you this morning. I want to ask you to, to, to think about when you're sitting in church, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, what irritates you the most? <laughs> just think about that because he, here's the question if you're sitting there and you're thinking quite often in church why don't this lot get their act together why aren't we better planned and organised and structured well instead of being irritated by it it's probably good to recognise that you have you may well have the gift of the apostle an ability to have an overview of the whole of the church, a love for seeing everything done really well, some direction for the church. It's an apostolic gift. It doesn't mean you're an apostle. It means you have an apostolic view or if you like a heart motivation. That's your heart. Then some of you might be sitting in church often and thinking, why don't we go? Why don't we go deeper spiritually? How come we don't have prayer meetings all service? How come? How come we're we're not really moving in the spirit? How come it all seems to be so so humdrum? Well, it's possible that you have the gift of the prophet, the the spiritual insight that 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 that, that says. We can go deeper with God here. We can know Him better. We can move in His power. Or maybe you've sat in church often and thought, what are we doing here anyway? Why aren't we down the market? Why aren't we down in Weir Street? Do you call it Weir Street? Weir Street. Every Sunday, telling people about Jesus. Well, what gift do you think you might have? Evangelism. 
You're interested in winning people for Christ. You want to see people come into the kingdom. Or maybe you sit in church on a Sunday morning thinking, haven't seen Mrs. Smith for a while. I hope somebody's visiting her. Oh, that young bloke who came last week, he's not here. So somebody must have been unkind to him or not welcomed him. And if so, you've got the heart motivation of a pastor. And you want to see people looked after. The question is, are you using it? Not, is somebody else doing it? But am I using this pastoral gift that makes me concerned that there are people who are not being cared for? Uh, As a pastor, I've sometimes often visited people and and they will say to me, I'm just so upset with the church. I've been sick for three weeks. I haven't had one official visit from the church. And I would say, because I know, uh, in this case I would say, well, I, I know that Elsie visited you and I know Peter and his wife visited you and, oh yeah, but they're friends. <laughs> they're not the church. Aren't we weird? We're weird. We don't understand that the church is a family of people. Remember what we said last week? You bang that finger with a hammer and you wrap yourself around the finger. And you don't need a pastor to do that. You need people with the heart motivation of pastors. This church is full of them. And you should walk in the authority of that, in the authority of the gift that God has given to you. And then there may be some people who sit here on a Sunday morning thinking, why don't we get some really deep teaching? Why don't we go deep into the Bible? Why don't we have a little bit of Greek around here? Well, you've probably got to go to the fish and chip shop for that, but... (laughs) You know, a little bit of deep stuff. Well, you've probably got the heart motivation of a teacher. And when you have the heart motivation of a teacher, sometimes that will mean you will teach in a formal sense and sometimes it will mean you'll just break the Word of God to people whenever you get the opportunity. Some of the greatest teachers that ever have spoken into my life have not done it from the pulpit. They've done it when I've sat in their homes and they've opened the scriptures and they've said, Graham, have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed this? Have you ever seen how this is, uh, this is phrased? Have you ever understood that this is how God operates in your life? And when that gift starts to operate in the church and people begin to teach each other because they have a heart motivation of the teacher, then the body grows and and people are equipped for ministry. We had a, a joyous experience last year. We were asked to conduct a a preaching class. They advertised it as a master class but that wasn't quite true because I was taking it. <laughs> and uh, we ran this uh, 
preacher's class and we had 12 people in the Warrigal Church of Christ who uh, rarely ever preached but who had a sense that God had given them the, the heart motivation of a teacher and they wanted to learn how to do it. It was just wonderful. There was a couple of teenage people and there was men and some women and they came and they sat around and we talked about over a couple of weeks just what, what was needed if you were going to exercise this gift and develop this gift. And then this year we've heard that, that um, these young preachers have been given an opportunity to, to teach the word and they've got them up there like you do here with your young men and, and they, they've had them preach the word. And when you talk to these people, they are just flying, you know, because they're now, their gift is being recognised by the body of Christ and they're contributing some of the stuff that they're thinking about. And you know, when you don't get that opportunity to, to do that and you know you've got a gift, you, you feel like you're suffocated, don't you? I was converted at 17 and, 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 and within a few weeks I was preaching to the cows Every time, every time I brought them up for milking, I would preach to them and, and I never got a convert because they're always in a bad mood. But, but I preached to them nevertheless. And I was just aching, itching, six months a Christian, wanting to preach. Because surprising as it may seem, looking at my background, God has said, that's the gift of grace on your life. Now, whether I've done it well or badly in 55 years is, is, is not the point. The point is that I was given opportunity to use it. And we had local preachers in the Methodist churches. They used to take us around as teenagers and they'd give us five minutes to preach in a church. Imagine that, me preaching for five minutes. <laughs> and they had one minute for the introduction and one minute for the conclusion and one minute for each of three points. Had one wonderful local preacher, he'd watch the clock. He would time you exactly. And then, just as it was about to click five minutes, he would stand up behind you. He would walk up, put his hand around my shoulder. He would look at the congregation and he would say, isn't it wonderful to have these young men preaching? And as he was saying it, he would be pushing me off <laughs> the platform. There's a great joy in developing the gifts that people have given the church. And we become stagnant if we don't do that. Now last week, I was talking to some of the really old blokes around here. Like... Rob Willett <laughs> Rob Freeman and you know my, I was just excited I was excited because I'd also been talking to some of the young men and seeing God's heart in them and I thought isn't this wonderful the reason these young men have opportunity to be who they are is because some of these old blokes who've been faithful for 120 years <laughs> have encouraged them 
and affirmed them and, and developed in them the gifts. Now, now, now listen, that must never, ever be an accidental event. Do you hear me? People must not accidentally become leaders, accidentally become people who use their gift. It must be intentional. Everything in the Scripture says it needs to be intentional. We are moving toward each other, encouraging the heart motivations, encouraging the the gifts that we see on people's lives, releasing them into whatever ministry that gift enables them to do. Sometimes it means releasing them to go somewhere else, to go to Christ church, to lead a revival in New Zealand because they're going to need it after we thrash them today. <laughs> you understand? So, 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 so sometimes we send people out. We, we were converted, Julia and I and Hazel, who's here today, we were converted in a little Methodist church. The membership, as far as I know, rarely, if ever, exceeded 50 and in 12 years, they sent 14 people into full-time Christian service. A little country church that's now a house. But in those days, it was a powerhouse for God. And, and that's because the people pass on gifts. You know, when we were preaching at 17, there'd be old ladies like my mother-in-law, who was probably about 40, and... <laughs> And she'd be nodding her head and she'd be saying, Amen, Amen, and probably thinking, this is the worst sermon I've ever heard in my life. And she was right there encouraging us. In fact, the flesh used to get in sometimes. And at Christian Endeavor, we would, we would have competitions to see how many would get the most Amens when we prayed. It's a bit fleshly. But as I look back, I can see that for them, this was serious stuff. This was about encouraging gift in the church. I want to encourage you at Montmorency, be a gift-based church. Be a gift-based leadership. Don't, don't develop roles in the church. Develop gifts in the church. People who are connecting to God and His grace and are reflecting that out from there. I want to encourage the leadership in the church. See as your primary role, not governance, but encouragement and equipping the body for service. Make sure you encourage your pastor to be an equipper alongside, getting alongside the leaders and others and equipping them because there's no greater thrill than that. No greater thrill than that. I remember meeting a man who had gone into ministry and he'd been in a church that we'd been in for a number of years of pastoring and he said to me one day, Graham, I cannot remember one sermon that you've preached. Well, that's a bit deflating 
I worked pretty hard putting my sermon together. How come? He doesn't remember. He said, I don't remember one sermon that you preached. This is what I remember. In the time I sat in that church, I went from being a spectator to a spirit-filled person who understood what gifts I had and you taught me how to use those gifts. You equipped me how to use... That's, that's what you want to be remembered for. Even if only one person remembers you for that, you have contributed to the kingdom of God, haven't you? That's what it's about. And, and I want to say one word to those, those of you who went to school at the same time as I did, which means you're over 70. I want to say you've got a fabulous role. In fact, we, we are amongst the biggest people group in Australia. 45% of us in Australia are over 60. That's huge. That's huge. And, and in churches, it's about 70% across Australia who are over 60. Now, we've got two choices. We can keep growing older and then kick the bucket. Or we can plough into people, young people's lives what it's going to take to be Christians in a post-Christian era because that is what we're living in now. Most of us who are over 70 grew up in a, in a, a time that could be loosely called a Christian country. But it can't be called that anymore. It's a post-Christian world. What we did in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s probably won't cut it anymore because it's a post-Christian world. Most people have never heard of Jesus. When people went to see the film recently released about Moses, many people said we had no idea who Moses was. You would have hardly found a person in the 50s who didn't know who Moses was or who Jesus was. But today, that is not true. We live in a, a multicultural, post-Christian community and the church has got to respond to that. And I'm glad that coming up behind us, us oldies, there is an army of young men and women who love the Lord. We've just got to make sure that whatever God has given us, we give them, not in terms of our traditions and our structures, but in terms of, of the spirit, the dynamic of the spirit. That's what we have to pass on. We have to release them and encourage them and say whatever, whatever it takes, You've got to take Christ to a post-Christian world. It's a challenge, isn't it? It's a big challenge, but it's an exciting one. And I, I'm just so optimistic about the church. I, I must admit there's times when I've been pessimistic, but I'm optimistic because I believe that God has always equipped a people for an age and for a time and for a particular period of history and he is doing it again. But he works through those of us 
who have reached levels of maturity where we can pass on and encourage and affirm and release and be the leadership that's going to equip a church to be the church in a post-Christian era. Let's pray. And as I did last week, I just want to invite you as you pray to, to make your own personal response to God. This God who is the one Father, one Lord over all. What, what, whatever response you need to make to him, you make right now. It might be to just thank him that this is something that you've known so well and it, is, it, has, it has influenced the way you have lived as a Christian and you want to thank him for that. Some of you will want to thank him that even as you sat here this morning, he's told you what your gift is and you want to thank him and say, Lord, I want to, I want to offer this gift back to you. I want to, I want to move in this gift or gifts for the rest of my life to your glory and to your honour. Some of you might need to say, Lord, I've known for a long, long time what my gift is, but I, I've, I've hid it, I've hid it away. I, I have, I've pushed it down. I, I've not operated in that. And today I, I say, Lord, I'm sorry. Sorry. I, I ask you to release in me this gift so I can use it in the kingdom of God before it's too late. Whatever your prayer is, just pray to him right now. Father, we just want to thank you. We just want to thank you that we've been here together. We just want to thank you for your word. We just want to thank you for your Holy Spirit that opens up the word to our hearts and gives us new understandings and new insights. We want to thank you for the joy of belonging to a body. We want to thank you that you are the head of the body, that you nurture us, love us, resource us, cleanse us, empower us. We thank you, Father, that we have a simple task and that is to reflect you to the world in which we live. Lord, forgive us for the times when, when we have not been reflectors of your love. I just think of my own life of times when I've failed you at that. And Lord, we just bring that to you and say, Father, forgive us. Just welcome us into your forgiveness flow so that we might know we are cleansed and free to move on and not live in regret, but to move on empowered by your presence and your love. So we bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.